Section 26 of Mark Twain's Autobiography, Volume 2. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain, read by John Greenman. Friday, March 9, 1906. Mr. Clemens tells of several of his schoolmates in Mr. Dawson's Hannibal School. George Robards and Mary Moss. John Robards, who traveled far. John Garth and Helen Kirkeval. Mr. Kirkeval's slave woman and his apprentice saved Mr. Clemens from drowning in Bear Creek. Meredith, who became a guerrilla chief in Civil War. Will and Sam Bowen, Mississippi pilots, died of yellow fever. I am talking of a time sixty years ago and upward. I remember the names of some of those classmates, and by fitful glimpses even their faces rise before me for a moment, only just long enough to be recognized, then they vanish. I catch glimpses of George Robards, the Latin pupil, slender, pale, studious, bending over his book and absorbed in it, his long, straight black hair hanging down below his jaws like a pair of curtains on the sides of his face. I can see him give his head a toss and flirt one of the curtains back around his head, to get it out of his way, apparently, really to show off. In that day it was a great thing among the boys to have hair of so flexible a sort that it could be flung back in that way with a flirt of the head. George Robards was the envy of us all, for there was no hair among us that was so competent for this exhibition as his. My hair was a dense ruck of short curls, and so was my brother Henry's. We tried all kinds of devices to get these crooks straightened out so that they would flirt, but we never succeeded. Sometimes by soaking our heads and then combing and brushing our hair down tight and flat to our skulls, we could get it straight, temporarily, and this gave us a comforting moment of joy. But the first time we gave it a flirt, it all shriveled into curls again, and our happiness was gone. George was a fine young fellow in all ways. He and Mary Moss were sweethearts, and pledged to eternal constancy from a time when they were merely children. But Mr. Lakeman arrived now and became a resident. He took an important position in the little town at once and maintained it. He brought with him a distinguished reputation as a lawyer. He was educated, cultured, he was grave even to austerity. He was dignified in his conversation and deportment. He was a rather oldish bachelor, as bachelor's oldishness was estimated in that day. He was a rising man. He was contemplated with considerable awe by the community, 
and as a catch he stood at the top of the market. That blooming and beautiful thing, Mary Moss, attracted his favor. He laid siege to her and won. Everybody said she accepted him to please her parents, not herself. They were married, and everybody again, testifying, said he continued her schooling all by himself, proposing to educate her up to standard and make her a meet companion for him. These things may have been true, they may not have been true, but they were interesting. That is the main requirement in a village like that. George went away presently to some far-off region, and there he died of a broken heart, everybody said. That could be true, for he had good cause. He would go far before he would find another Mary Moss. How long ago that little tragedy happened! None but the Whiteheads know about it now. Lakedon is dead these many years, but Mary still lives and is still beautiful, although she has grandchildren. I saw her and one of her married daughters when I went out to Missouri four years ago to receive an honorary LLD from Missouri University. John Robards was the little brother of George, a wee chap with silky golden curtains to his face, which dangled to his shoulders and below, and could be flung back ravishingly. When he was twelve years old, he crossed the plains with his father amid the rush of gold-seekers of forty-nine, and I remember the departure of the cavalcade when it spurred westward. We were all there to see and to envy, and I can still see that proud little chap sailing by on a great horse with his long locks streaming out behind. We were all on hand to gaze and envy when he returned, two years later, in unimaginable glory, for he had traveled. None of us had ever been forty miles from home, but he had crossed the continent. He had been in the gold mines, that fairyland of our imagination and he had done a still more wonderful thing. He had been in ships, in ships on the actual ocean, in ships on three actual oceans, for he had sailed down the Pacific and round the Horn among icebergs and through snowstorms and wild wintry gales, and sailed on and turned the corner and flown northward in the trades, and up through the blistering equatorial waters, and there in his brown face were the proofs of what he had been through. We would have sold our souls to Satan for the privilege of trading places with him. I saw him when I was out at that Missouri trip four years ago. He was old then, though 
not quite so old as I, and the burden of life was upon him. He said his granddaughter, twelve years old, had read my books and would like to see me. It was a pathetic time, for she was a prisoner in her room and marked for death, and John knew that she was passing swiftly away. Twelve years old, just her grandfather's age when he rode away on that great journey. In her I seemed to see that boy again. It was as if he had come back out of that remote past and was present before me in his golden youth. Her malady was heart disease, and her brief life came to a close a few days later. Another of those schoolboys was John Garth, and one of the prettiest of the schoolgirls was Helen Kirkoval. They grew up and married. He became a prosperous banker and a prominent and valued citizen, and a few years ago he died, rich and honored. He died. It is what I have to say about so many of those boys and girls. The widow still lives, and there are grandchildren. I saw John's tomb when I made that Missouri visit. Mr. Kirkoval had an apprentice in the early days, when I was nine years old, and he had also a slave woman who had many merits. But I can't feel either very kindly or forgivingly toward either that good apprentice boy or that good slave woman, for they saved my life. One day when I was playing on a loose log, which I supposed was attached to a raft, but it wasn't, it tilted me into Bear Creek, and when I had been under water twice and was coming up to make the third and fatal descent, my fingers appeared above the water, and that slave woman seized them and pulled me out. Within a week I was in again, and that apprentice had to come along just at the wrong time, and he plunged in and dived, pawed around on the bottom and found me, and dragged me out, emptied the water out of me, and I was saved again. I was drowned seven times after that before I learned to swim, once in Bear Creek and six times in the Mississippi. I do not now know who the people were who interfered with the intentions of a providence wiser than themselves, but I hold a grudge against them yet. Another schoolmate was John Meredith, a boy of a quite uncommonly sweet and gentle disposition. He grew up, and when the Civil War broke out, he became a sort of guerrilla chief on the Confederate side, and I was told that in his raids upon Union families in the country parts of Monroe County, in earlier times the friends and familiars of his father, he was remorseless in his devastations and sheddings of blood. It seems almost incredible 
that this could have been that gentle comrade of my school days yet it can be true for robespierre when he was young was like that john has been in his grave many and many a year will bowen was another classmate and so was his brother sam who was his junior by a couple of years before the civil war broke out both became st louis and new orleans pilots while sam was still very young he had a curious adventure he fell in love with a girl of sixteen only child of a very wealthy german brewer he wanted to marry her but he and she both thought that the papa would not only not consent but would shut his door against sam the old man was not so disposed but they were not aware of that he had his eye upon them and it was not a hostile eye that indiscreet young couple got to living together surreptitiously before long the old man died when the will was examined it was found that he had left the whole of his wealth to mrs samuel a bowen then the poor things made another mistake they rushed down to the french suburb carondelet and got a magistrate to marry them and date the marriage back a few months the old brewer had some nieces and nephews and cousins and different kinds of assets of that sort and they traced out the fraud and proved it and got the property this left sam with a girl wife on his hands and the necessity of earning a living for her at the pilot wheel after a few years sam and another pilot were bringing a boat up from new orleans when the yellow fever broke out among the few passengers and the crew both pilots were stricken with it and there was nobody to take their place at the wheel the boat was landed at the head of island eighty two to wait for succor death came swiftly to both pilots and there they lie buried unless the river has cut the graves away and washed the bones into the stream a thing which has probably happened long ago end of section twenty six friday march ninth nineteen o six